welcome back to the Fearless in Devotion podcast, sponsored, of course, by everyone's favourite, Bo, the fat one, bar and restaurant in Wrexham. Go and visit it, enjoy its many delicacies. Um, right, reaction to the game, first and foremost, um, and the draw, a tasty FA Cup third-round draw, Andy. Yeah. How much um, do you hate Shrewsbury? Well, not as much as they hate us. You know, there's that thing where people, um, like other clubs, go, "Yeah, Wrexham's our big, our big one," and we've got a few of them. Even Hereford hate us. Hereford think that we're their biggest rival, and they're, they're literally about we're Welsh roads. They're about two hours away. Um, uh, yeah, but I don't like them because obviously they put us down in League Two, so they're rivals yeah, now. No, I don't like them because it's a crap ground, um, and it's yeah. So I'm, I'm not fond of Shrewsbury. Uh, I went there for the for the game medal one, the one where remember Lee Jones scored right at the death, and I went absolutely yeah. ape shit. Loved that game. Uh, not been to the new stadium. It's a local derby. Uh, it's winnable, which I think is important in, in in the third round. So I'm all up for that. Are we going to get tickets? So that's the thing. Don't think mm. so, are we? Sixteen hundred. It's going to be tricky, Tim. Um, what do you make of the draw? Spencer Harris, contrary to what Andy. Just said, I think when he was on Fearless in Devotion, said that Shrewsbury were our biggest rivals and he hated them. Yeah, can't stand, can't stand absolutely. I don't know what Andy's talking about. I oh, don't, don't give me that look. It's it's a family friendly, sweary podcast. So I'm gonna get my beat button out again. No, bollocks. No, it's not. Then I mean, yeah, I can't stand them. I people say, is it bigger than Chester? Some people would argue no, some people might argue yes. I kind of pity Chester. I just very much dislike Shrewsbury. Never, never. I just, just don't like them. I've been to that new ground in our only visit there. We got to, in my head. It was so bad. I keep telling people it was five nil. It was actually only three nil, but it felt like five. We were absolutely dross that day. No fight. Richard Hope, hopeless, leading a bunch of lost idiots. Neil Roberts aside, maybe one or two of the more local lads, but awful, awful time because I was living down south and I had to get on a park and ride bus with a load of Shrewsbury fans um, on the way to the game. And they wouldn't let us out. They wouldn't let us out early. So we had to sit there and suffer it for the full 90. So horrible. Can't wait to play them. Can't wait to, to hand their ass to them. That is big talk. Liam, uh, Andy says winnable game. Is that a fair assessment? Sort of League One mid-table teams, not, not a bad draw to have. No, from what I've um, seen of them, they don't tend to score that many goals, which, you know, that could be a big problem for them because that's not really a department we struggle in. And if you looked at the goals that they did actually score against Notts County, I think everyone's probably seen those on Twitter. It's a bit of a, somewhat of a comedy of errors. So I don't think it suddenly means that they're prolific, really. They've got a couple of strikers we've heard of, including Ryan Bowman. But I am looking at it and thinking it's winnable. It's not definite, but... I think a lot of some people said they were disappointed, but I can always remember the likes of the free free game in the promotion season 2002, 2003. So I'm all up for it. Um, can I just read this team to you? This so Shrewsbury oh, three, Wrexham nil. I know what you Ward, Gavin Ward in goal, uh, Simon Spender at right back, Richard yeah. Hopeless, Phil oh, Bolland. Was it? I can remember him. Mm. Really, yeah, mm. yeah, he played for Chester, he was shite. Yeah. yeah, well, they were all shit. Uh, except yeah. well, Neil Taylor was all right. I mean, he did go on to <laughs> to play in the Euros and score against Russia. Yeah. Um, Mark Williams uh, came off for Danny Danny Williams. Um, Neil Roberts, 
Sam Easton, remember him, used to get the ball on one side of the pitch, run to the other side of the pitch, <laughs> and then pass it back. Or kick big, it out. He had a big handoff on him as well. Yeah. Um, Matty Dunn, what happened to him? He went to Rochdale. He's coming back on loan, apparently. Oh, is he? Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, the very wide, um, the very wide sort of, he had a very wide gait on him, Michael Lee Proctor. Kevin. Michael oh, Proctor, who Michael scored, Proctor. obviously, the, the famous goal, the last ever goal at Gay Meadow. Yeah, and massive shoulders. Uh, and he was up front with Drew Broughton. Let's not discuss oh. that. Yeah. Terrible times. Uh, and Andy, you've gone taking us back in time a little bit there. Explain to our new listeners, new Wrexham fans, maybe from across the pond or anywhere, you know, what, what's Shrewsbury like? It's a it's a posh middle class town, isn't it? It's not. It's uh it's always fun sticking one up on. Quaint. It's quaint. quaint. It's got quaint. nice bars. It's actually really nice place. On visitshrewsbury.com, it would say it's quintessentially British, wouldn't it, I think? Yeah, it's, it's actually it's really it's full nice. Full of hair salons and nail bars. Mm. Mm. Uh, to its credit, it's not Wem. Wem yeah. is probably the worst fucking place I've ever been to. Uh, not just in Shropshire, in in, in Britain. Mm. It's, mm. It's, it's a horrible, horrible... Uh, run you out of town with chase music, uh, play a banjo on the, on the porch... Yeah. Sort of place. When done to you? Why are you so scared? About oh, I went out for a night out in Wem. Oh, it was terrible, terrible. Hated it. Shrewsbury also, on. of course, the home of Charles Darwin. So um, let's hope yeah, that no uh, revolution went on there, mate. <laughs> yeah. Natural selection will do its job, and we'll be through to the fourth round. Right. Um, anyway, reaction to the Yeovil game, Tim. I mean, it's not much to say. Is there? It's pretty. Didn't really get yeah. out of food gear. It was. Um, yeah, it was very, very, very. Easy, wasn't it? To be honest, um, like everybody said, not got a first or second gear. Really nice to watch for the most part. Again, just control the game and then pick them off at will when we give them a bit of the ball. So, yeah, just really, really enjoyable. Powered sound made a decent save. Probably looked better for the cameras than what it needed to be, but a solid save. Um, you know, let's let's all talk about George Evans's wonderful tackle. Almost certainly goal saving tackle. And yeah, it was just it was just nice. It's 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 a weird thing to go to Wrexham matches, especially with this one and the Morecambe one, to go to games and just feel like, yeah, you know, after the first 10, 15 minutes, you're like, yeah, okay. Like, there's so many more people going for halftime pies after about fifteen minutes now, after these last two games, because it, it, there's just an air of inevitability about Wrexham at home. It's as simple as that. The record speaks for itself and lovely to watch. Lovely to watch the goals are very well crafted. Um, their keeper could have made a bit of a hash for the first one, but it was just just nice. And to the work. second one, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it, but you know, it, it was job done, yeah. and we will need to to go up a gear for Shrewsbury. There, a couple of their lads and their salad cast who will hopefully have on then this show before the match. We were taking great delight in saying, "Well, you know, they're just a League Two team." They kept on saying that, "Just a League Two team, just a League Two team." Maybe. We are, but you know, are we better for now? For now, um, but yeah, very, very happy and delighted. And it was a belated birthday gift for Phil Parkinson. Great stuff. Um, major news probably this week is about the temporary cop seating. Liam, do you want to talk us through what's been announced? There were rumours going around yesterday at the game that there was going to be a new temporary stand, and I said. No chance that's happening because I had read the minutes of the advisory board meeting in September because I am a dull, dull man. 
Um, but the question was raised there about whether a temporary stand might be a good idea while the COP, um, you know, is still waiting to be built. And it was essentially said at the time that financially it just wouldn't make sense. So fast forward to this morning. So yeah, it said work will commence uh, this week, essentially, to install a temporary stand behind the goal of the cop end with a capacity of 2,289, which is actually pretty darn big for a uh, temporary stand. It'll have 20 wheelchair spaces with access via Crispin Lane, and it's hoped that it'll be ready in time for the Newport game on the 23rd, which is a pretty quick turnaround. I think there's probably some applications like licensing etc and don't think i don't think planning will be an issue because we've already got permission you know essentially for a much larger stand but it's quite a quick turnaround to be impressive. In, the, in, the words, in the words of alan partridge can i just stop you there um because we've had a, a a wonderful message from one of our followers who is involved in all that kind of side of things and he messaged before um, and this is what he said, uh, clubs are starting without the permissions, licenses, and this side of it will not be turned around in three weeks. It needs building regs approval, fire authority consultation, a safety certificate, licensing, environmental health checks, etc. And after all that, insurance. So we will see. And um, he went on to say structure will be up in no, uh, no problem. It's just getting the above in place before the public are allowed in. It would be some turnaround. So there we are. I'm just reading those minutes you mentioned, Liam, and it says here, will there be a temporary stand installed at the COP? Sean Harvey confirmed there was no basis upon which a temporary stand could be financially viable. Um, but that, well, hang on. That was it, then. it depends how long it's going to be up for, doesn't it? So yeah. if they're thinking, right, we're going to have spades in the ground on this COP before the end of the season, no, it's not viable because you need, you need to build there. You need to do foundations. They're obviously thinking they're not going to do that. They're not going to be starting the COP until the summer. So if you've got the rest of the season where people are gagging on tickets, so what was it, 2,020 quid ago, it just makes sense, doesn't it? I think Yeah. I think if you can do it, um, you're, looking at, you're looking at at least 40 grand, right? Every every game. Every yeah, game. I mean, you could charge that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's going to be freezing. Uh, it hasn't got, a, hasn't got a roof. I went... Um, Old Trafford had one for ages. Not sorry, not the football ground, the the cricket ground. And I, I went to a couple of Ashes games in temporary seating. It was absolutely fine, and I was spending nine hours there at, a, at an all day cricket match rather than uh, two hours. So I think yes, it it makes it makes sense if the cops not going to be started until until the close season. Yeah, good good news maybe for now. If it if it if they can pull it off as quickly as they're saying they are, that's fantastic. Uh, maybe slightly, maybe an ominous sign for where we are with the with the cop developments. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not too sure about what that what that says really. Um, you would think if it was spades in the ground going in very quickly, then you wouldn't be throwing up a temporary stand. But I think we've all accepted that it's not going to be ready for the start of next season. So. If it if it starts in the summer, I'm no builder, but yeah. that cop is not going to be ready for the start of next season. I'm sure you can pour cement down in the in middle of winter, can't you? It's fine. Uh, can I we talk about Aaron Hayden quickly? Um, off again, not looking good, is it, Andy? I mean, it's just such a shame because we've all seen what he can, what he's like at his best, but he just seems to be constantly crocked. Yeah, I think I mentioned this last week that why hadn't Hayden's deal been sorted? If you're sorting out the likes of James Jones, then Hayden, obviously, you'd think he's a more saleable asset. He's a 26-year-old centre-half. He's probably got another eight years in the game. The problem is 
that around about this time every season, he goes down in a, he goes down with no one near him and he's out for months. It happened the first season he was with us. It happened, obviously, against Sheffield United last season and it's happened again. Um, so you have to ask... Does he trust his body in does he trust his body in the winter? Does he if he feels something, does does he think, you know, I, I, I can't go on? Some some players play through through the pain pain, sorry, some some don't. I, I do wonder where this leaves him with Phil Parkinson because reading the quotes yesterday, you sort of feel that Parky's a little bit peeved and there's that there was that rumor knocking about, wasn't there? Back towards the back end of last season that, that Parky sort of thought that some of Hayden's injuries were in his head and he really needed to play play, play through the pain barrier uh, and hadn't been. You know, it was fine last season because we had enough cover. We're a bit short on, on defenders this season. Ton of cliffs out. We have to play gorgeous George at the back. Uh, he doesn't seem to, to really rate Boyle, which is strange because he's the one who brought him in a couple of months ago. Um, so And he's our top-scoring centre-back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, Hayden's... Barely troubled the goal charts this season, has he? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a shame because on his day, he is our best defender. He is our most saleable, uh, yeah. saleable defensive player. And, you know, you would think he is bottom, bottom end of the championship if he could keep it all together yeah. for a season. But he can't. And if he can't, um, probably, would he get a new deal at the end of the, end of the season? I'm not so sure, Tim. Are you? Yeah. No, he's not. He's not going to get one, is he? I think. I think it would take some turnaround for him to get offered a deal right now. And I kind of, because somebody said to me, "Oh, you know, do you reckon he'll be offered one?" And I kind of joked, he'd probably get injured if he whilst he was signing it. That's how. That's how bad luck he's, he's having at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm just intrigued about you know the Parky's comments. I mean, don't want to overanalyze it, but this is this is what he said. Uh, Aaron said his calf tightened up, but we really don't know how bad it is yet. So it's pointless me speculating on the extent of it. So him even saying that Aaron said his calf tightened up almost suggests that there's a bit of disbelief on Parky's half. Maybe we're looking too much at it, but rather than just saying his calf's tight, Aaron said his calf's tight. I don't know. I just found it a little bit. I think only, only the player knows ultimately, you know, how his yeah. body feels. It's hard, you know, people, I've heard the suggestion of, you know, like, is it phantom pain or whatever it is? Like only only Aaron Hayden will know at the end of the day that you know there are players who pick up injuries you know more regularly than others. Remember the likes of Manny Smith, absolutely brilliant, brilliant defender, but injuries just curtailed his career, and it's quite sad really because you can see that Aaron Hayden is an absolutely quality player and a huge asset when he's there. I just think it comes down to you know availability though. That's that's got to be the main issue for Phil Parkinson is has he got his players available for him when he needs them. Um, and I think yeah. that's where the issue is. He's coming into his prime contract, his main contract of his career, the three or four years that will, you know, take him through into his prime. So, you know, it's a big contract. He'll have to offer him probably more money than he's on now. And really and truly, do you want to tie up a player who you don't think is going to be available for half the season? Yeah, Probably not, even though it pains me to say it, because I would say that there was... There was times last season where I thought he was our most important player. Mm. Well, look, let's hope he can turn things around and that the injury is is not as bad as feared and we can see him back at his best at the race course soon. Um, a quick word from you, Tim, on Arthur Oconquo. Some rumours that um, on the extent of his injury. 
Please don't yeah, sing. I, 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 I am going to sing. I'm just not going to do it yet. But if you think I'm going to go through this getting away with me not singing, it's unfortunate because the people have spoken. Anyway, um, he was due to get assessed today. Um, I mean, I was at Harrogate when he took the night. It looked innocuous enough, but obviously the medical team saw fit to to withdraw him at half time. Um, but I think um, oh, the guy who does is it Dazzler DA's. SZL, um, I forgot his name now, I should know by now, I met him in the pub. Um, he spoke to Aidan Davidson the other day and Aidan told him, obviously Aidan, goalkeeper, uh, coach, said that it's not as bad as first year, so they're looking at a couple of weeks. So you'd like to think he may be back Walsall around that sort of time period. So, you know, you you, you put Aidan back in, probably Nicholas starts the uh, Bristol Street Motors game against uh, Burton Albion on Tuesday, but yeah, you know, Howard's Howard's a capable goalkeeper, and um, we'll be fine until uh, until Arthur comes back. Right then, come on. What's this thing about? Why why have you got to sing again? Why have I got to sing again? It's just it's just part of the segment. Part of the segment. Come on, we're Welsh. We should love singing. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I've opted for a Christmas classic. Right, okay. I've got to try and remember the lyrics now because it just came to me in a moment of. Magic stroke madness about mm. an hour ago. So okay. right, I'm sure it's gonna be great. Well, yeah, just just meet yourself and get ready. So all done. Yeah. Karaoke version. Don't worry, Andy, it's fine. <laughs> right. Last Christmas, Rob Layton would play, but the very next day he got injured away. This year, to save us from tears, we brought in Arthur Conquil. Beautiful it's poetry. Oh, wow. And the very next day he got injured away. <laughs> I'm going to say, hey, it's bad <laughs> and it's also factually inaccurate because we've just heard he probably won't be back until Walsall. Well, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's besides the point. It's it's all about the art. And, okay. And, uh, Rectum okay. keepers are like spinal tap drummers, aren't they? Just Am I going to get marks out of 10 for that? Do I want to get marks out of 10? I don't, I, I don't think you do. Let, let's, let's, let's wait. Email, email us and tweet us. Let us well, know let, what you yeah, thought about anyway, that. On, on the talk of music... Let's hmm. move on to thanking our esteemed listeners for uh, including us in their Spotify wrapped or wherever the Apple version is. What's the Apple version, Andy? Uh, I don't know. You made me Apple go for peeled. it. I can't remember. Apple unpeeled. I don't know. Apple unpeeled is a good one, actually. Very yeah. good. Um, I think it's just replay 23, according to it. Anyway, so uh, yeah, thanks to everybody who's, you know, we've managed to infiltrate your Spotify wrapped um, 2023 for listening to us. Hugely appreciated, as always. Thank you for listeners, listening to us drone on and or sing dodgy Oconquo songs to Christmas classics. Anyway, we thought just for a laugh and just to give you an insight into our uh, questionable music taste, we all thought we'd share our spotify wrapped or apple alternative so mine is likely nobody's ever going to heard of because it's mostly heavy music so metallica is at the top understandably they brought a new album out i listened to a lot of it and there's a few others in there you never would have heard of and then rocking robin down the bottom coming to a live stage near you soon with some great wrexham terrace classics jazzed up and then Andy, let's go into yours first. Your your apple unpeeled. I quite like that. Liam, you should trademark it. Um, 
Liam described this. Liam described this as a very cheery. Um, There's a lot of Radiohead, a lot of Radiohead on it. Um, American band called Greta Van Fleet, who I went to see uh, at Wembley Arena, and were fucking terrible. They just they played. Are they the ones that sound like Led Zeppelin? Or yeah, but they just played long, boring guitar solos for about 20 minutes. Then War on Drugs, then Sam Fender, then Idols. Can I just yeah. say that actually in my top 10 is that I like to move it, move it song because I like to play it so often it? for that. Yeah. Wow. You've also so, got Snow Patrol and Jamie T. Yeah, well, let's leave Snow Patrol out of this. No, we can't because you know we've got. And Jamie got... T's good. I like Jamie T. I won't have anything okay. said against him. <laughs> right. Okay. Impassioned plea for Jamie T. Um, Liam, you've got a question on number one. I'm sure you're going to try and pass it off as your good ladies, but tell us, well, take us through your top five in reverse order. Well, I was going to say, just bear in mind that I've got a shared account on this. So if there's anything questionable, um, that's well, why. There is. But in at on. number five is the wonderful Mr. Frank Turner, one of the best live acts that you'll see, sort of, I don't know, would you call it folk punk? Andy likes him as well, so... Oh, we went to the same gig, didn't we, in Manchester? Yeah, we did. He was very good indeed. Big friends. Uh, in at number four is the K's, a band from... What's that station that's too... Oh, Earlstown, that's it, near Manchester. Um, they recently played at Central... Good catalogue. Good back catalogue. Hey. <laughs> They recently played at Central slash The Rockin' Chair. They were really good. Lottery winners, they've had a number one album this year. They, I saw them supporting Frank Turner. Really decent up-and-coming band. Number two, bit of a nostalgic throwback, 100 Reasons. If anyone remembers them from the early noughties, I'd say yeah. post-hardcore if I'm trying to categorise them. Singer's got, singer's got great hair like Billy Ashcroft. He has, and, but I don't think post-hardcore means anything to anyone who's listening to this, so... Sorry for that categorization. Um, number one, number one is blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that was the list. Yeah. No, go on. What was number one? Uh, number one is Westlife, and that is because my wife is a huge Westlife fan, and I've seen them this year at Cardiff Castle actually. But that's what just because I am a very, a very kind and, and caring husband. Lovely. Mm. And by no means least, by no means least, the, the, the culture vulture from the mumbles. <laughs> Reese, take us through your top five. Uh, I can't remember it. Oh, I, well, I can remember it, Ross. So number five, Billy Joel. I think you get a pass for Billy Joel. I mean, you know. One of the greatest singer-songwriters of the, of the 21st century, yeah. yeah. Four, you've got Megan Trainer. No comment needed. Okay, three, you've got Muse. I guess a thumbs up from pretty much all of us, I think, here. Um, two, this is where I'm lost now, Giuseppe Verdi. I thought he played for Italy in the 90s. No, I thought he was a left-back at Lazio. <laughs> Me and Andy come uh, up with some shit. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of the Verdi Requiem mass recently. It's a fantastic bit of music. You'd recognise one, you'd recognise the Diazire from it, without doubt. It's very famous. It's used in lots of uh, films and stuff. Fantastic work. He says a good mass, does he? He does, he does. And then top of the shop is Johann Sebastian Bach. Yeah, that's that. Well, if, but frankly, I judge anyone who don't have Bach as number one because he is, without doubt, the greatest thing that came from Western civilization uh, in, terms of, in terms of music, logic. So, yeah, but I, I admit 
I, I wasn't prepared for trainer that 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 came out from left field and and I, we are reflecting on that in the Williams household and trying to work out how that happened. Megan Trainer was a curveball. Wow! So there you have it, Johann Sebastian Boybach down mm. in the the, the Reese household. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there you go. On that bombshell, reflect on us. Let us know. Let us know what you think of our unwrapped and our unpeeled, uh, if you must. Uh, we'll, but please, we'll please. It. But please remember, if you could be anything, be kind. Um, but on that note, um, let's move on to today's guest. He is one of the producers on the documentary, which has taken the world by storm, of course. Uh, welcome to Wrexham. Uh, Josh very, very graciously gave us his time last week and shared some of the secrets to what it's been like putting Welcome to Wrexham together. It takes an enormous amount of work from teams uh, in America and also uh, locally in Wrexham, of course. So please enjoy this chat with Josh. Right, we're here with Josh uh, Driscoll, who's one of the producers on Welcome to Wrexham. I say one of them. There was a hell of a lot of executive producers on on Welcome to Wrexham, but we're going to say Josh was the best one, mostly because he's here uh, and Robin Ryan aren't here. Uh, for full disclosure, Josh approached us to do a little bit of the voiceover for the new series and took some excerpts from the pod to help tell, tell the narratives. So, mate, we're always help, happy to help, and thanks very much for, for choosing us and not Rob Ryan Red. Yeah, because I've heard they do evil, evil stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't even want to go into it. Tell us, he's here to tell us a few things we didn't know about, you know, everyone's favourite celebrity patch show about a North Wellian football club. Welcome, Josh, and how are you? Uh, thank you. I'm doing very well. Um, we are already jumping into season three, which I can say now that we announced it. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, you must be really bored of our voices because you 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 went through a lot of episodes. So apologies for inflicting this on you. You have to talk to us in the flesh. What well, kind of? Oh no, I I listen to you guys. I love it. Um, you guys are great. Again, that's why we chose you. But um, I I love your show, and I was listening to it before, and that's you know. So I figured, figured like these guys, these guys could help. They could help tell the story. That's very yeah. kind. Thank you. Thank you for choosing us. Um, let's go back to the beginning. And I mean, the very beginning. Well, not the very beginning, I don't, you know, your birth or anything. But let's go back to to when you're starting out in your career. When did you first meet a certain Rob McElhenney? And did you get his name right straight away? <laughs> I did. Um, I met him actually around 1996, 1997 through a mutual friend. And we were in the sort of same little circle of friends for a few years in New York. And then we both moved to LA within about the same year and stayed in touch. And um, he knew I was an editor at the time. Um, I wasn't doing anything particularly great. I was doing like commercials and promos and stuff. I hadn't done anything scripted, but I could tell he was a very creative guy and wanting to do something. And he came to me one day and it's like, Hey, I have this idea for a show. I shot it with some friends um, who happened to be Charlie and Glenn. And uh, he showed showed it to me. He's like, we want to do another one that's better. And would you help us edit it? And I was like, okay. Um, but if, you know, you, I, I won't ask you to pay me, but if it gets picked up, I have to be on it. I have to be an editor. And uh, he's like, okay. And so then we, we 
they shot it. We edited it in Glenn's living room on his laptop. And here we are 17 years later. I mean, what were those early days of It's Always Sunny like? It seemed like guerrilla filmmaking in, in, in some ways, really, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it was. The, the, the pilot, the pre-pilot that, that we did definitely was very guerrilla, very just them. If they're not in the scene, one of them's holding the camera or one of their friends is holding the camera. Little back then, little HD cameras. Um, they were still tape. They <laughs> weren't even digital. Um and uh, yeah, and then even when it got picked up the first few seasons, very rudimentary cameras, you know, it didn't look great, but it wasn't supposed to. That was kind of part of the thing is it was supposed to be kind of gritty and, and not look really polished. You know, that was very much by design and um, very stripped down, minimal lights, minimal crew, just get the funny stuff from the funny people. Let's move on to, to welcome to Wrexham. Um did you know anything about football or, or sorry, or soccer b before you took over? Next to nothing. <laughs> I knew, um, I knew it existed. I knew that there, I knew that it was the most popular sport on the planet. And I did watch world cup just because the stakes are so high. So I was always, you know, sports, even if it's not something you're really into casual fans will watch the biggest event, you know, yeah. like, Casual golf fans probably watch the Masters, but not necessarily every little tournament. Mm. So I would always watch the World Cup for many, many of them and really liked it. Just, again, the stakes, you just know that it means everything. And um, so when when I did start on this, it didn't take long for me to, to get very invested and really enjoy everything that comes along with football and the pyramid and all the investment and the passion it did, did it took it did not take long i was instantly hooked yeah and you know the seasons like the first season and the second season they tonally change quite a lot don't they there could be one 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 episode is very much about action and others goes off on on, on a tangent maybe is that was that always a conscious decision that you wanted to take and how do you sort of plan those changes for a season it, it was very conscious and it was always the plan was for it to not focus on just Robin Ryan and just the team. I mean, it's called welcome to Rexham, not welcome to Rexham AFC. And it was always the plan to be about the town as much as the club and about the marriage of the two, really Robin Ryan are obviously the catalyst. And, you know, the first season had to at least focus quite a bit yeah. on the acquisition of the club and, letting people know who, well, everybody knows who Ryan is, letting people know who Rob is. And um, so, yeah, and it was, it was always very planned to have townspeople, you know, it took a long time because it's with documentary and reality, you don't know what you're going to get. You might, you'll go yeah. meet somebody and be like, Hey, we like your story, you know, and then you'll shoot stuff with them and be like, they're not great on camera or it's not as interesting as we thought, but then you'll meet Wayne you know, and like, this is perfect, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, how involved are, are, are Ryan and Rob in, in that, in that planning? Do they sort of just say, look, we're making a documentary. You're our documentary makers. You, you, you go ahead and do it and we'll do the bits that you want us to do. Or do they sort of have suggestions that, that, that you guys work in? They, they have suggestions from broad strokes, um, but they rely on us 
to to satisfy those and to find people that just sort of fit a narrative that we we just all we just all kind of know if it fits or not. Again, like Wayne is the perfect example. It's like yeah, his the turf is obviously a link, and so it, they ask us to find interesting people that are connected to the club um, and have interesting stories and or are just a good voice for the town. Like the Burrells are a perfect example too, Jackie and Julie and, and, and Arthur, like you want a voice like that, you know? And so they rely on us to do all of the finding and vetting. Um, and we, you know, and then finding people like, we're like you guys, but also like Tom Williams for knots, you know, who gave us a voice mm -hmm. for their side. Um, our crew also is very close with the club. So it's finding which players, have stories like obviously you know paul with alibi and ollie's yeah. you know anything um he likes to be on camera and <laughs> um you know he's so um we shot a bunch with him um and a lot that didn't even make it in this season that we'll put in next season and mendy and jacob mendy's great uh, josh i was i was wondering as well about sort of the editorial side of it like how eclectic it is like because i'd say it's quite unique what makes it quite unique is just how you just never know what's coming next you know i'm thinking of that first series and you know the first sort of episode you know of focusing on paul and obviously the acquisition but also very much on football and footballers and getting through that and then you got like you know the, the welsh episode where they're with maxine and doing cooking and you just never know what's coming next is, is that a conscious decision as well that is kind of like this is a bit of everything Absolutely. It very conscious, always very planned um, from a macro standpoint. Like we, we, we want to find things and go down avenues that aren't expected. If you you're being told, Hey, go watch the show about this North Wellian football team, you know, and be like, oh, okay, it's probably gonna be like Sunderland or something where it's like, it's just kind of all going to be down this one Avenue. Mm -hmm. But we want, we very much want to always find other directions to go. And, and for other than, locals there Gresford was something that yeah nobody was expecting over here they yeah. just like they never never even heard of it so yeah. that's an obvious one too but it's always absolutely deliberate to uh to try to do that um Josh do you mind if we go through some of the episodes or some of the some of the key scenes that uh, in the episodes sure. uh, from this season and I don't sure. want to sound like comic book guy in 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 the Simpsons, it goes you know in episode four scene. Yeah, yeah. we're not going to get that granular. So good because I won't remember. <laughs> just your sort of general recollections. If we sort of go to yeah. the first one, I mean, the first few are always hyper-examined because the season is back and we want to see what the changes are. So you know, we we, we poured over this one because these two because you know it's back. It, it's putting Wrexham on on, on a global stage again i mean the first one played around with narratives and timelines quite a bit was that a conscious decision to tell the best story um that you could of that sort of you know that sort of these events it was and it's interesting that you reference it as the beginning of the season being most scrutinized because it is also by us because yes it's it's very challenging but very important and we did spend a lot of time on the first episode um and it you know we felt like we had to we were always going to show meeting the king the king coming yeah. it was just too big of a thing not to um 
and we did have to take liberties and jump around in timelines and it's very understandable that a lot of people are going to catch that but we really have to toe that balance to make sure we tell the best part of the story and the important things and do our best to make it as cohesive as possible um but yet just get across the events that we want to and the, the things that we think are important and I think it is quite important probably to start with a lot of Ryan and Rob really, isn't it? Just to, to, to nail, to nail them down at, you know, it, it is, they're still a big part of why this is successful, isn't it? Absolutely. It, it really is. And, you know, we're always again, careful with the balance, like we are with everything um, with, with how much we use of them. And they're very careful too, because they, they don't want it to be all about them, but mm. their voice is obviously extremely important. And um, so it, it, it is important to sort of put them up front in the beginning um, and get their take on, on what, how they're feeling about things or the nice broad sense of like where the club is and where they want the club to go. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, second episode, I absolutely loved. Um, it's probably had my favorite scene of, of, of the whole two series in. Before we, we, we get to that, did you always want to do an episode on autism or did it become a subject that came out of the footage you were getting and you were sort of saying, right, let's explore this, this further. Let's put these together. Let's, let's, let's make this about this very sort of, I, I, I mean, it's a very single subject, but you know, it, it translates around the world really, doesn't it? Mm. Oh, very much so. That one did, I mean, that manifested itself. You know, we, we did not set out to make an episode about autism um, or families with children and autism. It presented itself because we, you know, Millie was around. She was just, yeah. the crew's always there with the team and she's always right there when they're coming in. And so the crew's like, this this is interesting. And this is, this connection is great that she has. So they learn more and more about her. They speak to her mom and kind of, sort of mold that based on what is really happening no fabrication of any kind and then learning that albie's paul mullen learning that albie was autistic naturally around that time it just became a very obvious and beautiful story that we as soon as we realized it we had to tell it there was never a that question but it completely just one of those things like when you do a show like this you get lucky um yeah when something like this happens and it ends up everybody's cooperative, Paul's great. He's, he's such a nice guy and so willing to participate. And um, yeah, just that was born out of natural circumstances. I mean, the scene I, I really liked was Millie putting together the package for, for Albie and sort that of saying so to nice. herself, yeah, saying to her to herself, well, this helped me in this situation. It might help him. I'm going to put this in. And I just thought it was lovely. You know, it, it just organic, just 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 beautifully done. What do you sort of, mm-hmm. as editors and as people directing the episodes, what do you sort of feel when you see a scene like that come back? Well, when I saw it, I got emotional. <laughs> when I, yeah, you... Like that, if if a scene like that doesn't tug at your heartstrings, you, you know you don't have a soul, and it just you have it, a soul, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> then then it just becomes, um, from our end, to make sure the best way that we honor the story and tell it 
the right way um, and don't exploit anybody or don't, you know, try to make it something it's not, don't fabricate it, you know, and just honor it really. And just make it a true a documentary in the truest sense. We, this is who these people are. This is what they're doing and it's wonderful and beautiful. And we just make sure we, we, we don't fuck it up. <laughs> you did um, fuck it up. <laughs> um, can I ask as well, Josh, you know, you've covered some really harrowing subjects and, you know, you know, first series like Jordan and Kelsey and uh, obviously, then, you know, Paul in the first couple of episodes, but then, you know, you got Paul and Albie as well. And then, you know, I'm thinking of the Ford family as well, this series in particular, you know, could you give us an insight into how, how you go about persuading is the wrong word, but sort of allowing people to tell you their story then? Cause it, it's, it, it's not easy, right? I would imagine. It's not. And uh, I'll have to say that from afar, since I'm in LA, when a lot of that stuff is developing, the crew is relaying it to us, you know, um, and they're just sort of telling us like, this is going on with this player, you know, Forty's wife is going through this. And I'm like, well, I hope we'll talk about it, but either, you know, then, then Patty, our producer over there will be like, yeah, he's really into it. Um, he, you know, he's very willing to, to talk about it. And that always surprised me that so many of these players and people were so willing. They didn't really need a lot of convincing to be honest, they were very happy to tell their story. And I don't think anybody needed, you know, any like multiple conversations. They trusted mm -hmm. us. It was yeah. a big part of it, obviously, you know, our crew, again, I have to I'll keep mentioning the crew because they're amazing. You know, some of them, um, yeah. I'm sure. And um, Milos was still there and Patty's there and Claire and Gaz and everybody. They have such a good relationship with, everybody there town and club and so I, I feel like we've earned their trust to the point that they kind of don't hesitate too much to tell their story because they know we're going to tell it right and we're we're going to do it justice and tell the right parts of it without being exploitive or um, yeah. fabricating anything you know I mean there's some players that aren't keen on being on camera but that's okay you know hmm. For all those, there's Ollie Palmer. <laughs> I love Ollie. Ollie is great. Um, the, the next sort of episode, I, I mean, just to, sorry, just to touch on what Reese was saying then. I mean, sure. it, gives, it, it gives us fans such an insight to what players are going through. And, you know, if, if, if they're having a bad game or something like that, we're, we're on their backs. You know, and these people might be having so much going on in their lives that, that we don't know about. And I think that's not just important for, 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 for Wrexham fans. I think it's important for all sports fans when, you know, in, especially in the way of sort of social media and, and things like that. Um, just want to sort of go on to the next uh, episode now, which was more, it sort of zoned in on the Notts County and you could tell that was going to be a theme theme all the way through really. Uh, but what was one, a very interesting scene for us was the clash between Mullin and, and Tozer in, in the, uh, in the dressing room, which, you know, for football fans, that is for Wrexham fans, that is gold dust. Mm. Never mm. get to see, see clashes like that. There weren't too many mm. of them through the story. Is it always quite, quite a tough sort of decision to put something so sort of dr well, not dramatic, but so sort of 
such a a remit of of the dressing room in in into into a, a documentary like this something that is so truly behind the scenes that yeah you know, you it's it kind of delicate yeah. yeah no i know what you mean um because it is it is delicate because people are being it's almost like they forgot they're on camera or they they're yeah. just so used to it which is what we want because we want authenticity um um yeah it's it's delicate and we we do al allow them to like if we're going to show something like that we we give them a heads up you know um just to sort of be respectful you know to be like hey this this happened you remember this moment and you know it was a little heated and would you show them the scene or would you just sort of say we're gonna, this is the sort of thing that would you sort of like paraphrase we, what happened we'll show them the scene sometimes yeah okay. um uh i don't know if we did for that one but like for you know for the albie and millie we, we showed that to them ahead of time you know to yeah. make to make sure that they were okay with it um yeah, yeah. But we, we give them a heads up, you know, and but they're also at this point, they they know, you know, they know the camera's there. They don't change themselves, what they're doing in terms of in that, especially in the locker room where like they're mid, they're pregame, midgame, postgame. If it didn't go well, if it did go well, they really are being completely honest and they're, they're sort of, they're not playing to the camera and they so far have been very open to to us showing that again. I think because of the trust. Uh, just a sort of technical sort of thing. Would there be a cameraman in the um, recording in the dressing room, or would it be like a static cam or that that, that zoomed in? It's uh, there's two. There's a crew in there. There's a cameraman and a sound right. man, okay, and and a producer. So, so they are really it's comfortable tuck, with tucked yeah. in the corner. Yeah. 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 And that's not a big room. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, right. I want to talk about episode four, Sean's holiday. Now, right. Mm. Um, divisive, I think. <laughs> the, the, sure. what, what, yeah. It was divisive on here, but everyone else I spoke to who's not so much of Rex and Fire. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a division, mate. We're the, we're the division. <laughs> right, I'm going to be honest, Good. right? I, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I didn't really like this one. I thought it was too much mm -hmm. constructed reality. And I never wanted mm -hmm. this documentary to be like that. I never really mm -hmm. wanted it to be, oh, look at these bozos. They can't run a football club. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't think it, I didn't, I didn't think that sort of fitted the professionals we brought in to do mm -hmm. a job. But, you know, I can understand why you did it. And I think tonally it, it struck with a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It did, and that one was um, it, it was very, it is very much a departure from sort of the what the show is most of the time um, constructed reality. Um, but we just thought it was so funny, and yeah. it did show um, sort of a it, it's just sort of shined a light. We felt like on sort of the chaos and and, and sort of that this is still new to Rob and Ryan. Yeah. And we just, I, I totally know what you mean, but we, we just sort of felt it was a fun way to just sort of give like a day in the life. No, of, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy to run a football club. But I understand, I but you know, it's fair, fair what you're saying for sure. 
I mean, I think it did sort of underline how important Sean Harvey is to this story. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, when he first came in, there was a bit of sort of, well, there was a lot of scepticism about him coming into the role. But, you know, I, you, you can't really argue with, with, with what he's done. I mean, what I really need to ask is, would the real Sean Harvey be able to take on the body double? Because the body lo- double looked absolutely <laughs> mean. Jacked. Uh, I don't. I don't think Sean would want to. I, I don't, I don't. He he fortunately did not have to meet that guy. That that was shot here in L.A. And um, all right, so they were American actors, were they? Yeah. Oh come on! You could tell that they were well oiled and bronzed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> might be well oiled. We, we don't know. He might be. We'll never know. Um. So skipping on a little bit, the, the women's football one was great. Um, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's something I know they wanted to get across more in the first season. Um, but I think that was a really good sort of introduction to it. And, you know, you've got characters there as well, like like Rosie and, and, and Lily's a, a star, isn't she? She is amazing. All those goals are. Um, Lily, though, is so... Her maturity for her age and what she's been through is just incredible. And we really wanted to show it. I'm glad that we waited until the second season to, to do that because it gave us more time to really find out who these women are and learn. Like we were just blown away. Like Rosie, Rosie works at a prison. Like, (laughs) well, we have to, we have to show that. And, um, yeah, it's just another story that's just there for us, and we had to make sure we we honored it, and just really wanted to let people know how much these women and these players put into this, and they don't have a lot of they don't have help. They're not paid. They're you know they have jobs, and um, we just it's, it's a great juxtaposition to the men's club. Yeah. Um, going ahead to the next one, um, that was for me the FA Cup. Pure, pure oh, football. Oh, so joy. good! I, 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 yeah. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, it. and I was just waiting. I was just waiting for the Billy Sharp. We were all just waiting for the Billy yeah. Sharp. What are you going to do with Billy Sharp? Um, but yeah. up until that, you know, it's an FA Cup run that will live long in the memory because it's the first one we've really had in a while, and it's just so great that it's also documented there. That you know, we can always go back and relive it, and we, you know, I managed to go to all the games, and that it's. It's it's there for for you know for fidelity really. I, mm-hmm. I was going to say as well, yeah. Josh. The um, in terms of putting those together, because I would say without trying mm-hmm. to blow too much smoke up your ass, they're so well put together because it's really hard to tell that story right of like a couple of weeks in such a short time. I thought the same about the knots episode. You know, it, it, is it that you guys are picking up football really quickly and kind of get it a lot more? You know, do you have consultants like who just sort of keep an eye over things? This is a great question. Um, it is uh, a common, it's, it takes a lot of people. I mean, not just our crew there, um, who they're, and they're all from the UK. So our, our crew there knows, they, they know what to focus on. And we, and then, you know, multiple editors work on, on these and multiple producers and we all have our, our say, but yes, we're learning as we go in terms of us over here in the U S but the team together is just able to, to achieve that. I think is the best way I can say it. Um, 
and it did come together well and just it's just a such a huge team effort is really the reason you know so many of our crew are also whether they're from wales or not is a mixture uk manchester and all over they are also very passionate about the sport so nothing has to really be explained and in fact they can explain that they explain things to us you know yeah uh, about about things like the fa cup just telling like what the fa cup means you know mm. like i i had no idea i knew what i knew it existed you know i always enjoy that when humphrey tries to sort of get across the vagaries of like why is yeah. why to try and explain to an American audience why this particular cup is more important than others like it's that's because yeah. I do understand it's a difficult thing to explain. It is such a foreign concept over here. Like we just there is nothing like promotion relegation tournaments going on during the league. Um, it's it's really hard to explain to a, a lot of people here in the beginning, and then when, they get it eventually. But it's it's just such a foreign concept. Was 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 that the episode with the infamous map of all the clubs? <laughs> this particular. Yes, map. I knew you were. I knew this was going to be brought up. I knew. I uh, knew it was. It, it, it angered so many football fans. Too much hilarity. Sure. We all. I loved all, it. All, 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 brilliant. I, 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 isn't Josh's Josh, title executive I, producer and in, and director of maps? Welcome I had visions. Yes. I, had, I had visions of Josh being sat there like a like a Bond villain, stro- stroking a cat whilst watching the chaos unfold. So tell us a bit about that, because it was great. Uh, I didn't, I, I don't know how else to say it other than we, we just missed it over here. Um, that, that graphic was created by people in California. And I think it was our graphics people. It was referenced, it was referenced by a map that existed right. on, online. It wasn't just actually randomly put together by our people. Like there was a reference for it. Somebody else made a map like that. And, um, you know, somebody should have done a little bit better due due diligence. And I was surprised when on social media, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and I. Josh, it's not, it wasn't a marketing brilliant ploy. There's some people suggested it was great marketing because you've got so many people talking about yeah. Welcome to Wrexham in that episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we have, we have fixed it. So if you watch it in the future, it should be correct. We oh. retroactively, but we weren't able to do it in time. Yeah, it was we fun were... having Everton, Everton near Anglesey and Cardiff and Swansea in the <laughs> West Country. Um, it was a joy. It's a work of art. Oh, man. Yeah. You got Rex and White. That's all we care about, mate. That's all we care about. <laughs> right. The, the due yeah. diligence must be hard, though, right? Because, like, you know, it's it's an awful lot of content. You got an awful lot of rushes <laughs> that you've gathered. It is. It, it's extremely difficult, and the hardest one is. Well, for us, I guess the hardest one is maps, but um, the the hardest one is like once you get later in the season, trying to remember how many points you had on at game 42 and how many points you had at game 43 and how many did nots have at game 40. And like, again, that's because that's also foreign here, like that, that whole concept of, and so there is a lot of us like doing all this, like double checking, triple checking and going back and looking i mean the information's all there online but like you still to, to find like each week's updated table you know to just to make sure like okay 
there was a game in hand or no, we didn't have a game in hand. Mm. So it does take a lot. And then the map is the one that slipped through. <laughs> well, you're forgiven. It's fine. <laughs> How good was a character like Ben Foster to come into into the series uh, at that time? He, he's he's just so comfortable in, in, in front of the camera, isn't he? Oh, again, just getting a bolt of lightning, just striking gold with somebody like him. Yes, so camera friendly, media savvy, great personality, leader in the clubhouse, loved by everybody, um, knew, decided to do it, decided it's like, hey, I'll come in and help you. This is all in the documentary. I'll come in and I'll help you get over the hump. We'll figure the rest out after that. And he'll come out of retirement. And he was, he did exactly what he said. And he fit right in and loved being there. And as we you know, started his career there, uh, as we all know, and yeah. was just sort of from both sides. It was like, well, this is perfect. I mean, you know, this we have, you know, we've had some trouble with keeping keepers healthy. And they're like drummers know. in final tap, aren't they? They are. We've actually thought we actually thought. We thought about that concept at one point when we were like spitballing shit. It was like, should we just have one of them spontaneously combust? I mean, <laughs> so we just like it, it's just it's just crazy. But and then you you just can't write what happened like with the not save. I mean, it just the, yeah. the saving with Kedwin. I mean, people. I know there's some people afterwards who were like you guys have to be writing. Like you have to be having control over this, and we're not. I mean, it just, it did happen. And yeah, what just good fortune and just ah, such great opportunity to tell such great story. Right. Two things on this before we move on. One, I was in that episode and you subtitled me. Is my voice not suitable for an American audience? Uh, you know, maybe it was just the mic recording. I don't think it was your voice. Oh, maybe yeah, okay. it was, was it poor audio? Dodgy sound. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was it. Yeah, I'd also had five pints. <laughs> um, secondly, on that, yeah. who messaged Notts County Zone, and did you expect that response? That was me, and I didn't. I mean, I really thought that you know they would be like, "Yeah, sure, I'll, we'll come and talk." Um, I I've been following that person, and we still don't. <laughs> I don't know who he is. We don't know who he is. Um, and I was like, we were we were starting to realize, hey, we need other voices, you know. Like, you know, like I said, we want we want all voices, good or bad, you know, like truth. Like, we want people that are like that hate us or knocking us down or unhappy with things. And villains are always great, you know, for storytelling. And um, not and I did. I was just like, well, let's see if this guy will talk, you know. We and I sent that nice message, and that was the response, which I. I was a little surprised about, but I'm not going to be surprised by things like that anymore. <laughs> no, I, I mean, he got his, he got what he wanted out of it really. And, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then he, and then he came out and said on social media that um, he had asked for a thousand dollars, a thousand pounds to be interviewed. And we turned him down, which is absolutely not true. 100% not true. So you'd have paid him a grand, right? Easy. No problem. Straight up. <laughs> As we sort of move on towards the end of the season, can we just say thank you for Gresford? Because that, that taught me some stuff I didn't even I didn't even know. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Wrexham and I, I didn't know a huge amount about that. I never got taught mm -hmm. it in school. Tim, did you? 
No, there's um, there's there's quite a lot depending on what school you went to. But I, I didn't go to Welsh language school, which you dare say might might um, you know, broach that subject in, in more depth. But no, it's it's weird because you know it's it's literally a mile away from where I live, and I go past it, drive past yeah. it often. You go yeah. down there, you, you you read up on it, of course you do, and then it's it's I think it's different. It's very much different reading about a subject that's so poignant and heartbreaking and so historical mm-hmm. to the area. But seeing it brought to life on the screen, um, on the small screen, but done in such a way that was so well well delivered. Because it's such a subject, you have to be careful. Because you know, you you could you could go about it in the most you know purest form and purest way of doing it and trying to tell it the right way. And somebody somewhere may find fault with it. But I think looking back, there's literally nothing I, I personally couldn't find anything wrong with it because it, it, it was it was told, it was delivered perfectly, and just all of it, you know, even even that kind of flash forward about is this wheel going to be used as part of the cop or you know, or is a new version of it? So so it had all these elements coming to it. You kind of like touching on the past and and, and bridging it with with the here and now and, and into the future. So. Yeah, it was it was um, pretty special. Definitely, probably my favorite. I think that's great. Great to hear. Um, I think all the maps were correct. Uh, if, in that one. Um, <laughs> I don't think it would have been yeah. that one, but you know, <laughs> we you know we talked about doing that one. We talked about that subject and about doing something with it in season one, and it basically just quickly became obvious that we we shouldn't rush that. We wouldn't have been able to do it this way if we tried to fit it into season one. Mm. So we waited so that we could do more research and figure out the best way to tell it and make sure we honor it and make sure we we give a voice to people like Ruby, you know, whose father died, find people like that and um, just gather as much information and archival stuff and voices to tell it right. And we just we just didn't want to rush it. And it seems to have been pretty well received. I obviously didn't know much about it. And I was wondering, as you bring up, like where you guys taught about it in school, I kind of was like, you must not have been really, at least not at every school, because the the school scenes in there with Margaret and Alan coming in, they're coming in to have to teach the kids. And that leads me to believe they're not being taught it automatically in their curriculum. Um, So that was kind of interesting to me too, because... It is so local. It's so present there that I would think it would be told. Were were you nervous when that episode went out, when episodes like that go out because they're so sensitive? Yes. Um, I was still nervous. We we were a little bit nervous, even though we felt like we had done it proper. But again, like with, with Albie and Paul and Millie, like you just, you just kind of, you're just so concerned about telling those correctly and, Mm honoring them that yeah i was i was a little nervous that there might have been some people maybe pointing out any incongruencies or if we if we fucked yeah. anything up yeah 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 well i think i think you're not not i mean you can use that that episode as the prime example of it but the overarching feeling from everybody and the reason why it's become as successful and and, and received such universal acclaim is because people can resonate with its honesty you know, it's not you're not trying to jazz up certain bits or have a bit of uh, 
poetic license, so to speak, to, 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 you know, to sort of, oh, well, yeah, that's a bit more dramatic than what it should have been. It's just, it's as raw and as honest as you, as you could, could want from a docu-series like this. Yeah, that was the goal. I'm very happy that that's how it turned out. Um, we, we just spent a lot of time with that one too. And um, it, I think we hit our mark. I think, you know, we achieved our goal, it seems like. On that sort of subject, um, episode 13, where you went to the family, that Ollie Palmer reveal, really, really well done. I, I didn't know that. Guys, I don't know if if, if either of you, you knew that. No, I mean, I thought Ollie Palmer's dad might have come up earlier because he, when the king came to visit, he, I thought yeah, that might have been like a, a, a line you took there. Up. But no, you left yeah. it and, and fair play. That was proper. That was proper. Tea. I know you were just watching it going, I went, fuck me. I did not know that. Um, and there was su yeah. such a good bond between them as well, wasn't it? It just yeah. came across really well on, on, on camera. Yeah. And again, that's their, their cooperation. And, but it, there really was, I, I'm, I'm sure that was a big surprise to a lot of people. Um, but it was another way of us being able to just humanize these players. Like we talked about earlier, like you know, it's the same here. Nobody thinks about these people's lives off the pitch or over here off the field of the diamond. I mean, they're just, they're there to do what we want for our organization to win. And if they don't, then there's, we have bad things to say about them. And if they do, we put them on pedestals. And it just, it's so nice to be able to tell these stories uh, and hum humanize these people. Just, and, and I think that helps for me anyway, that, that was just, that all helps the final episode, the promotion yeah. and helps yeah. like I, I wanted, we, we wanted for people to be feeling these things as opposed to just these guys won. It's like, no, these, these people won, these humans that have all these other things going on in their life and they still went out and achieved this. Yeah, I've just watched the final episode, first time I've seen it, and it did bring it all back. I mean, like, there's a picture of me and my mate, and we followed Wrexham for so many years, but 15 years in non-league. It was just such a, a release of emotion to, to, to finally get there. And again, to have it all documented, um, it, it's just, I, I, I just know I've got this for the rest of my life. Yeah. To come back and just totally relive, yeah, relive, relive that day again and again and just you know as as we sort of sum up can i can i just say thank you to you and all the producers and mm. you know the likes of claire and the people who did all the all the filming because i worried that this could be a disaster i worried that it mm. it could be a piss take i worried it would be i don't know poverty porn or or you know something that didn't really didn't really sum up what we knew about our club and our town and I think you captured it and the fact that it went so big shows that it resonates everywhere as well and we thank you guys for showing our town in that light thank you and it, it's just it is such a huge team effort um uh my co-showrunner Brian Roland and um Jeff Luini over here the three of us really put a lot of our lives into it but really it's like you guys the club the team you guys people like you have opened your doors and your hearts to us so it, we wouldn't be able to do it the way you're describing 
without the cooperation of Wrexham and Wrexham AFC and everything. So it's just been such a great, it's just worked out so well for everybody. It's been such a great marriage so far and we don't, we don't intend on stopping. Um, so, you know, like I said, we're shooting season three already. We have been, and um, there's more great stuff to come. And it's, for me, it's just been a huge joy. I love going over there. I can't wait to go back. Josh, can we ask you about bringing the um, uh, the publishing date forward for the next series? Because it's going to come out before the, the release date, before the end of the series. What was the thinking behind that? Um, Rob was just really, we, we just, we have the show Hard Knocks over here. Um, that takes, it's about, it's about our NFL and they do it every year. And it's only, it's only four episodes. It's four weeks and it's, it's during their training camps. So much like the, you guys, we have the preseason with, you guys have preseason friendlies and, and stuff like that. It's the same thing. There's about a month before the NFL season starts that all they're training. They're, that's all that they're working out. They're getting in shape and they're, and they're also trying to decide who's going to make the team and who's not. Um, and they are, and so, and it all airs like so they'll shoot it one week and then it'll air on Tuesday night the next week. So it's an insanely fast turnaround, but you're literally getting it almost in a full like news presentation, like it literally just happened. So that's the thinking is also is, is that the audience to show the audience like how current currently what's happening is happening because. It was really, as we were doing the season, it was like, God, this, they're not going to be able to watch this till, you know, November, uh, the, the Bormwood, you know, and it happened in, it happened at the end of April and it just felt like too much time. It just felt like too much time to deprive the audience and the story um, of, of, of that. Just like, Hey, let's just let people see it quicker while it's still fresh in their minds. Josh. Thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed getting an insight into, into behind yeah. the scenes. And hopefully you'll come on again after the end of next season. Um, Absolutely. I think, got, I think it's interesting to know you're going to try and turn it around so quickly. I don't think even we sort of realized that's, that's, that was going to be the case. But we look forward to it. Give us more content. Inject it into our veins. Yeah. Looking forward to the seven-day turnarounds. Thanks, Rob. What <laughs> are you guys? Uh, it's oh man, you may not hear. It might be a stretch where you don't hear from me for a little bit. Uh, yeah. But um, but yes, no, thank you, and um, we'll need you guys as always to to help us tell this. We've already got some stuff being put together that we'll reach out to you about. Cool. And, so. uh, and just as a disclaimer, Robin, Rob, Ryan, Red are beautiful, lovely people. They are. We, we real pod solidarity there. Yeah, Josh, yes, thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thank Josh. you guys. Thanks very much once again to Josh Drisco for uh, giving us his time. Uh, really, really interesting chat, and we're very grateful uh, for him to to him for coming on. Time now for predictions. Um, Andy, do you want to go first? What are we predicting? So we got we got Burton at home on Tuesday. Is that right? Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we'll we'll use our squad, and I think our squad is going to be better than Burton's squad, who will do the same because they're struggling a little bit in in League One. So I would see two 0 I think it would be quite a straightforward straightforward mm-hmm. win there uh, in the Fleur Robinson Derby. Um, and then Saturday away at Forest Green. Oh, I can't go because I'm working. 
Um, I, I think they're very low on confidence, but I just don't think we're great away from home at the moment. And if they really squeeze the pitch, if they really dig in, we, we're going to have problems because we just can't seem to grab hold of a game away from home. I thought we'd, we'd, we'd cracked it, county away, but it's crept back in. I still think we'll win, but I think it's going to be a nervy 2-1 and I think it might be like a last 10 minutes before we, we really break through there. Tim, do you want to give us yours? Yeah, I think um, I think our time in the Bristol Street Motors Trophy will come to an end. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I just, I just, we're so good at home. You're not expecting us to lose, but there's going to be a curveball at some point. And this may be it. Um, I, I just got a feeling. Just got a feeling we, we might we might lose. Um, on it's got it's got to be sorted in the night, isn't it? So it could conceivably go down to penalties. Um, I'm going to go for a, a through a two-one loss, and Fleur will set off a yellow flare in the stand in a joyous <laughs> victory, victory with her, with her dad. Um, but in all seriousness, it's a good test, isn't it? It's a good test, but I, th- I think we might get edged out for some bizarre reason. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, and yeah, Forest Green, Dale Vince's um, vegan destroyers. I think they're. Proper struggling, and I think we are we are well, well overdue a decent win on the road. So I think we'll win. I think we'll win there too now. Nice. Um, I think I agree with both. I agree with Tim. I think we will lose to Burton. I'm going to say two one, and then I'm going to say that we will also go and win at Forest Green. I think it's it's when we're going to go on a really good. Christmas run, dare I say it. Look at the fixtures after that. We've got um, two home games in a row, Colchester County. So I think Forest Green is going to be the start of a good run over Christmas, fingers crossed. Um, So I'm going to go with a 2-1 win in Forest Green. Liam? Uh, Tomorrow feels like one of those games where anything could happen, really, because I think we're probably going to see a few second stringers playing, albeit we've actually looked quite good regardless of what team we've put out. So I'm going to go for one all in normal time, followed by a win on penalties for us. That's very specific, so I might put a bet on that. And Forest Green away. As much as I think a draw away from home is all right, I think against a team that's so low on confidence, we've got to get a win. And I'll back us to win narrowly 1-0. Lovely stuff. Confident-ish all round here, certainly for the league anyway. Um, thank you once again for listening, all you lovely listeners. Please don't email us because I don't think anyone's got access to the account. Uh, yeah, one person does. He didn't even bloody do anything with Fearless anymore. That's not. That's none of the say, by the way. It's just a, it's a rogue element. So what we'll do, we'll get. We'll apologise to anybody who's emailed us. We, we haven't had access to it. Yeah, um, please we'll message get... us along in other avenues. We'll get another one set up and um, and we'll yeah. be able to answer it all swiftly and efficiently. Yeah, but please do message on the Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever else. Yeah, go around Tim's house. Go around no. Tim's house, knock on his door, yeah. tell him what you think yeah, yeah. of him. Um, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Take care. Goodbye. Up, the, up the four walls for Sided Town. Mm-hmm.